From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season four of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here is your host, Heidi Moore. Welcome, everybody, and hello from Wine Crush Podcast in downtown McMinnville. We are episode eight of season four. I am your host, Heidi Moore. So happy to have you here with us, and we are excited for the show that we have today. So grab a glass of wine and enjoy the show. Here we go. So we have both Domaine Divio, we have Bruno, and then we also have um, Lois and Dave Cho with Cho Wines. They're coming up second, but we're going to start with Bruno today. So welcome. You have been one of the hardest people for me to catch. Well, and vice versa. <laughs> Hello, Heidi. Nice to be here today. Um, I'm Bruno Corneau from uh, Domaine Divio, so I'm very happy to be part of the show. Um, yeah, we've been uh, trying to, to get in the show for some time now, and uh, we're trying to find the right time to do that. So really happy to be here to uh, talk a little bit about me and my wines and why we decided to set up in, in, uh, <clears throat> in Oregon, in the Willamette Valley, uh, coming originally from Burgundy. So I'm from a, from a family of growers and winemakers in the Haute-Côte de Beaune in, in Burgundy. And when I discovered the, the, uh, this part of Oregon in 1996, I fell in love with it and decided one day I would create my estate. So that's what it is. Domain means estate in, in French. And Divio is the early name of the town of Dijon in Burgundy, which is the capital of Burgundy, where I studied, where I met my wife, and also uh, where most of the clones of Pinot and Chardonnay have been originated that are planted in, in the valley nowadays. Well, I just learned so many things in that little short paragraph that you just, <laughs> you just gave us. So I'm really glad you presented your name so I didn't have to say it because we've, we've been practicing for a few minutes and I still wasn't getting it. So I'm so thankful that you did that. Um, you're our first French winemaker, which is exciting to me. And like you had said out, you know, out front before we started, you were surprised that I had not had a French winemaker on the show before and it just hasn't worked out. So here we are. So I really want to understand how the art of French winemaking is the same and or different from what you're doing in Oregon and how the differences in the, you know, in the regions are, you know, as well. So I'm going to kind of let you take the show from here and let's talk about the wine and what you brought us and why why you did fall in love with Oregon and why you decided to uproot your family and life and move here. I would say first the, the, the largest difference is the accent, right? That's why, that's why you don't invite French people because you have a hard time understanding what they say. Ah, you're you're <laughs> super easy. It's, it's, your accent is not thick enough to where we have to get a translator. So that's, it's great. So this, this country developed, or this part of the Oregon developed around Pinot Noir and Chardonnay from the get-go because the, uh, the early pioneers growing grapes here did, thought it was um, the, uh, the ideal place to, to grow these two varieties. And uh, there, were, there are a lot of similarities with, with Burgundy, even though it's, it's, uh, it has a different type of soil, uh, but the climate might be different. We're talking about like cool, cool climate. So uh, when I came here long ago, uh, I realized that uh, first the, the conditions were ideal. The land was so beautiful and virgin, I would say, to grow, to grow Pinot and to be part of this uh, movement of discovering the new, um, the new sites. Um, all the potential for, for Pinot and Chardonnay. And the second reason why I decided to come over here was probably because of the, the, the huge welcoming of this community. People are so nice and, and I mean, it, it was so easy to be part of this community that I, I felt like home right away. Um, so I've been working in Burgundy for some time and in my family business and also um, in some other producers. And I traveled the world, so discovered some other ways to make wine in different uh, regions. But I really wanted to come back to Pinot and Chardonnay, and particularly in this valley where I would say everything has to be created and discovered with so much potential for, for great wines. It's, I mean, we're talking about wine and, you know, the, you know, just how 
similar but different they are as far as like, you know, Burgundy and France. And you had told me at one point in time, well, when we sat down on the patio, I had asked what's the difference between French winemaking style and Oregon winemaking style. And you told me it's time and patience. Uh, yes, that's one part of it. The, the, it's, it's definitely about the, the f- you, you're not making wine for yourself. You're making wine for future gen- generations. Um, I'm drinking the wine that my grandfather made, and I'm making the wine that my grandchildren probably enjoy. Will, will enjoy. So that's that's a, that's a, that's a beauty of this product. You're gonna pass it through the, to generations. Um, for yourself and for all your friends and the community around you, which is a really beautiful thing. Uh, we can share that everywhere in the world, though. Um, but it has been really the tradition in, in, in Burgundy, from where I'm from, uh, to, to really realize that the one you're making is not necessarily for yourself. Um, that said, uh, the, I would say the, the fact that you are uh, in a different place of the world, you have to also adapt yourself in terms of, as I said, community, but also adjusting your, um, uh, your, your style a little bit to the consumers you're going to have around you. As far as like styles and things like that, I mean, I, I think with what you just said, it's so beautiful because that is the, the truly beautiful, you know, the great thing about wine. And I think that's what a lot of people forget, at least in this part of the world, is that wine is one of those things that is to be shared and it's to be enjoyed and it's be, to be really drank daily and not to necessarily save it for a special occasion. So, I mean, that's a lot of what I think as winemakers you're striving for, and I could be putting words in your mouth, but it really is something to, you know, to celebrate on a daily basis. Definitely, that's the beauty of it. That's a, that's a piece of joy in the world, and it has been from the beginning of of, of civilization. So um, that's part of the being part of the continuity of this of this creation is is really is really a, you know a blessing. I would say um, having this to to share with uh, with friends and around meals as well. Um, but I would say, going back to the, um, the difference between France or Burgundy in particular and, and Oregon, I would say, um, I think that if, if there is one thing you, I want to notice is that um, in Burgundy, we not always have the, uh, the sun, the maturity that we want when we start getting some some cool climate uh, arriving in, in September, or October. So uh, we usually like a little bit of the the the, the, the sweetness of, of the wine we're gonna have here, um, but we have plenty of acidity. And here, that the other way, we we're probably liking a little bit of the acidity that would we would need for really good potential aging. So sometimes we have to adjust that or decide on picking a little bit earlier than we would like because it's always um, it's always exciting to try to try to push the maturity a little bit further, but you want to restrain for that. And that's gonna be a little bit of the, the style we're trying to make as well. Not not pushing the fruit too far to keep the acidity you're gonna to need to make it very enjoyable, very round, very balanced and, and cellar worthy. So let's um, shift and pivot a little bit to the wine because you have, we've already started with your Chardonnay. Um, mm-hmm. Sammy and I devoured your rosé yesterday, which I know you don't have any in stock right now, so don't call him and ask him that because it's not there. We, I think we got, <laughs> <laughs> we got lucky and had a bottle of it. Um, but I know Pinot is the staple of what the Willamette Valley is. And so I want to talk about your wine, talk about the wine that we you know, chose to pour today, which we'll pour more after this. You guys just won't see it. Um, but we'll have a good time with it. So let's talk Pinot um, and you know what you're doing with your Pinot, what's different. And it's really beautiful and lovely. I mean, highly enjoying this glass of wine in front of me right now. Thank you very much. So uh, Pinot was... Everybody knows now is very sensitive to where it's growing, so it's one of the most, uh, I would say, um, uh, 
picky grapes to, to develop flavors uh, depending on where it's growing. So we, we have to be very careful. And that's gonna, what's going to define the style is also uh, where you want to source your Pinot and how you're going to farm it and uh, when all your decisions throughout the farming and when you pick and, and then later on it's going to do a thing in, in the tank. But um, the, the, the style would be defined by the winemaker pretty much. Uh, I mean, of course, the appellation where it's growing uh, will define the, the type of fruit you're going to get. In, if it's red fruity, if it's dark tannins, if it's, um, if it's uh, uh, round and sweet, or if it's more like dry and, uh, and austere, it's going to be also defined by the where it's growing. But um, the wine itself will be defined by the winemaker, but I'm choosing the barrels I want to go into this, this bowl. So that's that's me who's going to decide what, what's going to be in this bowl because I decided this barrel is going to be good and not that one. Um, that's pretty much um, how you can you can do that. You have to start with good wine to start with and then and then the, the final style is me to give it to the to the to the brand. Um, I'm looking for something that is uh, balanced and also there's a fine line in between very enjoyable early and age worthy. Um, and you can, I'm, I'm trying to reach both, uh, knowing that you want, you don't want to be the wine to be too austere, but uh, you want some, some nice floral fruity component in the nose, but you want also this bright acidity and and enough tannins for the wine to age really well. Because as I said, it's really nice to have it with friends right now, but I'd like my grandchildren to enjoy this wine as well later on. I don't even know what to add to that. So I'm going to say, let's just take a break because all of our glasses need refilled. I'm seeing empty glasses across the table. I want to talk a little bit more about the vineyard because I know that's really important and especially you know where your AVA is and we'll talk a little bit more wine maybe a little bit more story and we'll go from there. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with us. We are back from our glass filling break. Everybody has the Pinot um, refilled in their glass. So, you know, I think we're going to talk about that. So it was very appropriate to make sure that we had that in our glass. So we are back with Bruno Corneau. Did, did I do it? I didn't yes, kill it. Did Yay. Yeah. So um, let's talk Pinot. It's, um, let's go, I guess, deeper into the Pinot than, um, you know, the, what we did before. Sure. So I brought uh, 2019 Domaine Divio Estate Pinot Noir from our uh, vineyard. I developed on the Ribbon Ridge. It's called Clos Gallia because I'm a Gaul originally from uh, from this region of France, and that's uh, that the estate of the Gauls. So that's why we call it that way. Um, 2019, a beautiful vintage. We had the ripeness we wanted. Um, it uh, it was a, a warm year, definitely, but it, it kept the, all the, the freshness that we wanted. Um, and we've been blessed for the last 10 years, uh, most of the time for the for the vintages here in the valley. So um, I cannot complain. Knowing coming from Burgundy, we have a lot of uh, of. Uh, challenge to to go uh, against uh, usually uh, in Burgundy here it's uh, it's uh, the paradise for growing grapes I would say especially if you want to grow organically like we do on our vineyard so I from the beginning when I, I came here in Oregon I loved the Ribbon Ridge because I discovered that the, the producer here was creating wines that were very similar to what I was used to in Burgundy in terms of uh, floral character, the uh, the touch of earthiness sometimes, the nice uh, smooth uh, violet spice that you can find in the wines. And when they age, they get this kind of a mushroomy character that I, I really love in in, uh, in in Burgundian wines. I found them in the, on the Ribbon Ridge uh, production. So uh, I've been looking for a great area to grow my, my grapes and I discovered the place in 2014 we created our estate uh, in the Ribbon Ridge. Um, another reason why I, I really love this place is uh, the uh, the soil has a clay content that is really high. I like to 
to call it the clay dough. It's a, it's a really heavy level of, of clay. Um, so pretty, pretty poor for growing you know, vegetables, but for growing grapes, it, uh, it's a really, uh, really beautiful place. Um, so we have a tasting room on there that has, we, has been built and uh, opened since 2015 uh, that we enjoy uh, uh, welcoming everybody who wants to come over and taste our wines. Uh, we, have a, we have a selection of, uh, of different, um, different types of wines, most of them uh, Pinots from the different AVAs in the valley. But I want to focus today on the on the estate, which is really the the essence of the Ribbon Ridge. Uh, we have different clones of Pinot, and this that I like to blend to create uh, uh, something that is really um, with the style of uh, of the estate. With with this, as I said, this kind of a, a little bit floral and spicy components that that brings a new, nice, also soft finish and and soft tannins. So this one is really dark. It has a lot of violet nose and a little bit of licorice in the nose. Uh, the mouthfeel is still a little bit, uh, I would say, uh, young and a, a touch grippy, I would say, just because it's, uh, as I said, I like my wines to be age-worthy, and I'm just uh, releasing this wine right now. So it might be still a little bit young, but I think it has a great potential for aging, and, and you can all already enjoy it uh, right now. Um, it's going to evolve really, really well. So the, the estate we develop our vineyard on um, is uh, within a bowl. So I have the pleasure of uh, having some some blocks that are facing east, some facing west. So I have a lot of different clones as well. It helps me create uh, a really nice and complex uh, blend of, of Pinot from this really nice site. Let's talk about tasting Pinot, because you just went to, through all these tasting notes with the nose and the taste and whatever, and I hate to call it a slurpy sound, but it is a slurpy sound when you actually aerate and actually taste the wine. Can you tell us why you do that? And I think you need to replicate it too. <laughs> there we go. So that <laughs> that's an interesting way to develop the aromas that are in the in the wine to really explode in your mouth so you're creating a, a, a vortex of aromas in your mouth and these molecules of, of uh, flavors are pushed through uh, your, your the back of your mouth into your nose so you you accentuate the, the natural flavors of the wine the natural aromas of the wine by doing that so it's uh, quite enjoyable it, it, it goes a little bit further into the, the appreciation of the wine. You know, every time I'd seen somebody do that, I'm just like, what in the ever-loving hell are they doing? I just don't understand <laughs> what the hell that is. But now I kind of am getting it. I'm understanding what, you know, what and why. It's not something I do every day. It's, <laughs> it's more of a... <laughs> <laughs> more of a hobby. More for a professional, in a professional, professional way, you're trying to... Uh, desiccate these uh, these different layers of uh, aromas and flavors in your wine. So it's a way to really try to define all the different components that you have in there. It makes so much more sense. And this is probably why I am not one that has a great palate when it comes to doing things with wine and flavors and aromatics and whatever else. So um, when we're talking about wine, you hear the, the term terroir which is, I believe it's a French term, correct? correct? So what does that mean to you as far as, you know, how your wine is concerned, how, how you farm your vineyard, how you pick your wine, and what your end product is? Yeah, you really, you really pointed what it is, actually. Terroir is not just the place where it's growing. It's a combination of, um, of the place, but the climate, the airflow, the, um, the elevation, the, the people around it, the way you farm it. Uh, the way you're going to blend the wine and at the end, so the style you're going to give it. Uh, I mean, of course, the grapes are there picking up all the elements they have around them, uh, starting with the soil. I am decided from the get-go to farm, uh, to dry farm, so we, we have no irrigation on the vineyard. Um, it helps the, the vines uh, develop roots a little bit deeper, 
a little bit a, a lot deeper actually and uh, and go visit uh, further layers of uh, of soil bringing more mineral elements and more complexity potentially to the wine uh, we also decided to farm organically so it, it brings also another element of of uh, nature and I would say synergy with the rest of the farm because it's uh, it, we're not masking uh, anything with uh, herbicide or or pesticides by by just in letting the the vine uh, thrive in its elements, uh, and we we want to be sustainable as much as possible anyway. Um, not adding any commercial yeast, it's also a way to to let the, the the terroir, which is the natural yeast that are growing on the grapes naturally, that are going to ferment the the wine. So those that were present. In the field are the ones going to ferment the wine, so that also brings another element of terroir. Uh, so terroir is yeah the, the combination of all these elements that create this piece of land and brings this wine to you, that is unique. Even though in Burgundy they don't call it terroir anymore, we call it climate, le cli <laughs> le climat, because it's yeah terroir has been so used and misused over the world, so that. We, we, we turn the fact that it's uh, it's really a climate that you have in your um, in your piece of piece of the world in your element here your block your vineyard. That's interesting because I mean I guess it depends on how you look at the the definition of climate. You know, are you looking at the climate as just the weather? Or are you looking at the climate on really truly on how it starts from the top and comes down through the bottom and into the dirt and the climate of the the aspect of what you're doing? Yeah, they, they call it the clima. Clima yeah. is not, yeah, it's, it has a, the, the idea of climate, but it's quite different though, anyway. But it, it, it integrates the climate as well. So it's, uh, yeah. See, we learned it's very something, important. something new today. I love it. Um, let's talk about your other wines, because I know you don't just do Pinot, you, um, Pinot Noir, anyways. Um, you had kind of given me this lineup of these beautiful wines when I was there at your tasting room. And let me tell you, I was, I was a little bit blown away. You're like the host with the most. Like I have never seen somebody so engaged with their club members, their guests. People were honking and beeping in the parking lot, and I think you about waved your arm out of your socket that day. I mean, it was just, it was like Grand Central Station. It was amazing. Like I'm like, this is like Disneyland in wine country. Well, I hope it's not Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, it's like Walt Disney it's just a bit showed more up. More settled and uh, serious than Disneyland, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really. Uh, enjoying uh, interacting with my clients and my club members definitely because I, I think it's also part of being what we do doing what we do it's also we're not doing that just for us it, we're doing that as you said like it's a it's a thing that you share making wine right so you need to share that with your clients um, we I decided to uh, to stay with what I know which is Burgundy originally um, so Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and I, I decided to uh, extend my portfolio to the other uh, grapes, um, variety, or style that have, are traditional in Burgundy. So uh, I decided to make a Pastougrain. I know it's hard to pronounce, but... I'm not going to even try. Right, so Pastougrain is, uh, is a wine that has been made for centuries in Burgundy as a an entry level, a wine to share with friends, and usually the one you give to your employees um, because it's uh, it's an everyday wine. It's an easy wine to drink. It's a blend of uh, Pinot Noir and Gamay. So I'm making one of those. Um, I decided to make a Pinot Gris as well that we call Pinot Bureau because that's the way we, we've been calling this wine in, in Burgundy since the Middle Age. Um, it's not easy to pronounce neither, so... I'm not going to well, do that one either. People are trying to say bureau. It's, it's, uh, it's quite, quite interesting. That would come out so bad always, if I always if a tried that. Thing. And of course, we have, a, we have a sparkling in Burgundy called Crément. So I decided to call my wine Crément de Willamette, which is a, my sparkling wine a method uh, champenoise. So it stays uh, three years in, uh, in tirage before it's, uh, it's labeled. So it's, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful sparkling wine. And of course, my the wine I'm the most proud of is the Chardonnay, uh, and I think that's going to be the next big thing in Oregon uh, because there's so much beautiful potential that has not still been really discovered for for great Chardonnays in the Valley. And um, I made 
I really have more fun making Chardonnay than Pinot. I love making Pinot. But Chardonnay is more tricky to make. It's more difficult to make a great Chardonnay than to make a great Pinot um, because you have to pay attention to every step of, uh, um, of the of the of the process from from the, from the selection of the clones where you're going to grow them each elevation uh, where you're going to when you're going to pick um, the way you're going to press it the way you're going to age it it's extremely important because this is a grape that has a really is it's versatile so you can grow it and make it anywhere in the world but then the style is going to be defined by every little step that you make through that's going to be if you make too much if you put too much oak it's going to go over the wine and it's going to be ruined it's interesting you say that because i mean me being i wouldn't call myself a novice at this point because i've gone pretty deep pretty fast but at the beginning i had no idea what went into winemaking i mean truly i thought it was you know you, you grow this thing out in the you know the yard and you squish it and you put it in a tank and then you throw it in a bottle and then it just voila it just kind of comes out and there is so many intricacies that come with wine and it's really all personality driven it's palate driven it's you know it's land and climate and whatever else driven and so this conversation that we just had is so intriguing because no one has ever spoken about chardonnay like that well thank you no and i i really think like um, producers in general uh, and and critics uh, realize that um, Oregon is the next big um, uh, producer of Chardonnay in the world. Um, if we're really the little sister of Burgundy, I mean, in Burgundy, you look at the the most expensive and most um, famed uh, wines, they are Chardonnay, not necessarily Pinot. Chardonnay, Grand, Grand Cru Chardonnays are sold twice the price of Grand Cru Pinots. Uh, for a reason, because they are really exceptional, and it's going to be it's going to become the same in Oregon, I'm sure. That is so intriguing because I would have never guessed that. Because I mean, I mean, really, truly, between California, Oregon, Washington, whatever it is, you know, probably around the world, I would have always assumed that a red wine is going to be the most expensive wine because of what goes into it, and maybe it's the color, and maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's Hollywood. I don't know. I think Hollywood really influences way too much of what we think about wine and what we really think about a lot of different things, but we won't go there. But I would have never guessed that Chardonnay was that way. Yeah, I mean, color is important and, and no doubt. I mean, I, I'm when I'm making a Pinot, I'm also looking at the color. You know, it's, a, it's an important factor to, to the quality, the general. I mean, one, one of the uh, beauty of drinking a wine is looking at it, right? It's one of the elements that, of the enjoyment, right? So you you want it to be too brick or pale or what something you're not expecting in a in a great wine. Um, but uh, Chardonnay the same, or I mean whites in general the same. Uh, color is extremely important. Rosé, I'm making a rosé. For me, rosé has to be extremely pale because you. I'm not making a red wine here. I'm making a I'm making a rosé, which is neither white or red. It's a rosé. Well, I will say this for future people that are looking for a rosé. That rosé yesterday was just, it was pretty top-notch. Like, I have hoarded it at home. It's, like, been slipped behind, you know, a number of different things in the refrigerator. So my kids don't get a hold of it when they come to the house. And, yes, and I can enjoy it all by myself tonight because there's nobody home. So... Yes, I love it. So anyways, thank you for sharing. Um, I do want to make sure that we tell everybody where to find you. So where do you, we come visit you? Where do we buy wine? Social media, all that good stuff. Right. So you can find us on domendivio.com. We have a beautiful website where you can see our stories, see the pictures um, that my beautiful white, um, wife made for the, for the estate um, uh, website. And uh, so we are, uh, at, uh, we are on the Ribbon Ridge um, uh, AVA. Our testing room is in, it's in Newburgh. The address is... Uh, on the website domendivio.com uh, and we're open seven days a week all year so 12 months during the wow, year wow that's a you don't see that very often so that's that's something mm-hmm. for people to look at for what like when they're doing wine tasting midweek you are a must go yes thank you we have a beautiful setting um the view from our our 
deck is pretty nice, so you can really feel like you're, you're in France there. Not only drinking the wines, but looking at your surroundings as well. So, um, And um, yeah, come and visit us and uh, look at our website. You can buy off wine there or uh, on site. And that's pretty much it. We're, uh, that we, we're not selling the wine anywhere else. Okay, well, we're going to finish up with the last question because I think this is going to be interesting coming from you. Um, so there's always, you know, kind of, it's wine related, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's Heidi related because I'm kind of nosy, I guess. I like to know what kind of people's inner workings are. So question is, you get to grab one of your bottles of wine and you get to share it with one celebrity. Who is that? And where are you, are you bringing them to the estate or are you like, going to some fancy restaurant or somewhere somewhere else to, to drink wine and chit-chat. I would bring this person to the estate and enjoy the surrounding because you that's the best place to, 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 to taste our wine is on the estate within, within the vineyard. Uh, it, would be, it would be a Chardonnay. Um, the, the first one we made from the estate, the 2017 Chardonnay estate, uh, really beautiful. We are out of it, of course, but beautiful. Um, we're with. This is the million dollar question. Make it interesting because I, I'm all for interesting. I can't find any celebrity that. Oh, there's got to be somebody somewhere. Famous winemaker, Hollywood somebody rather, famous figure, dead or alive. It can go either way. I can't find him at anybody right now. You, you, you. Okay, well, just, just invite me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you just invite, invite me. I'll be, I'll, I'll be your non-celebrity celebrity. Yo, let's do that next week. Okay, sounds good. I got time, so I'll, I'll shoot my calendar. Bruno, I... Huh? Oh, he has to choose one. I can't be the celebrity. I mean, I, I just... Nobody, nobody comes to my mind right now. I'm sorry. It's really, you know, I just... Um, I'm not a celebrity guy. Nah, I'm not. Uh. <laughs> no musician? I should invite Bono. There we go. We'll, inv- we'll invite Bono. Absolutely. That, that makes the wife happy. That makes Bruno happy. Absolutely. That makes everybody happy. So Bono, the invitation is coming your way, my friend. Thanks, Bruno. Oh, thank this you. has been such a great pleasure. We've learned so much about so many different things. And um, I'll uh, call you about next week. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay, everybody, welcome back. We are back with the Wine Crush Podcast, which means we are back with couple number two. Sounds like the dating game there, right there. But we are we are welcoming in the dynamic duo of Cho Wines with Dave and Lois. Loving the energy with these two. Um, probably one of my favorite married couples, maybe to the date. Yeah, you guys are so amazing. I just have so enjoyed getting to know you guys. Um, I don't even know where to start with you. I kind of want to start with your story, but I kind of want to start with the wine. But Sammy sent me over a picture last night or this morning about like this dynamic duo group of like newer winemakers. It kind of, and don't take offense to this, reminded me of like the Hollywood brat pack of wine. So you kind of had the whole like early 90s Emilio Estevez, you know, Charlie Sheen, that whole kind of vibe going with all of y'all last night. Super cool. Oh, yeah. Last night with the small producers. We do live close to Hollywood now, so. So, so, we, so we have that. So the energy and the, the whatever's going on with all, you know, with you guys, with the new producers, it's just, it's so fun to watch kind of this new generation come in that has just kind of this new vibe going. So let's start with a wine because we've now moved to sparkling and so, and we have a couple different options here in front of us. We have a true champenois style. We have a pet nat that I kind of, I, hate, I know Sammy hates this word, but I pimped it out yesterday. We did in our video, but it's, it's great. I think it's a great word. So, well, that's so. the right word too. So, <laughs> okay. See, there we go. So let's talk about wine. Um, and then we'll, I want to move kind of back into your stories and what you're doing, but wine is kind of the king of the room right now. So let's do it. So what you have in your glass, uh, most of you uh, have a 2015 Laurel Vineyard Blanc Noir. So it's 100% uh, Pinot Noir from Laurel Vineyard, which is right around 1,000 feet elevation in the newly minted 
uh, Laurelwood District AVA, which is part of, uh, used to be part of uh, Shehlin Mountains AVA. Um, yeah, and then these are John and Lynn Albin actually planted these vines back in 81. So these are about 40 years old. Um, and that they planted like own rooted to back then. So singular vision, a visionary guy. He wanted to, to create like the awesome sparkling wine vineyard. And then 40 years down the line, like his son and I get to like enjoy this fruits of his labor really and make these great wines. And um, so, yeah, so how you make normally like, you know, Mette Champenois, you know, you ferment, do a primary ferment to dry, and then you do a secondary fermentation in the bottle, which is called tirage, and you, you, you ferment in there secondarily, and then you, normally you do about 18 months to 36 months, but, you know, I try to show off, so we went about 16, 60 months, which is like about five years, so I had a lot of time for East to kind of enjoy its time in the bottle and that we uh disgorged it last month and uh yeah it's drinking fantastic i don't know what do you guys think that's what that's what i oh i think it's fantastic two things i want to define what blanc de noir is because not everybody really understands that including myself sometimes and i know there's this savory thingy whatnot that you guys do to take the corks off and i think lois had actually done that um in a video so i want to understand why you do that because it's weird and sometimes it breaks the top of the bottle and what is technically blanc de noir, de noir? usually use three three different varieties for uh, champagne like in champagne you know so pinot noir pinot meunier and also chardonnay so blanc de noir is you know the blanc from noir like a you know red grapes and blanc black grapes so usually pinot noir and pinot meunier are used but i only use pinot noir so it's, that's what Blanc de Noir is. And savoring is just a fun way of popping the cork off. So instead of traditionally just taking the cork out, you know, you got to make it fun and Instagram worthy. So <laughs> we take our, um, uh, it could be a saber blade or like a, um, a knife or Dave oh likes God. to do this, the bottom of the wine glass. And you just follow along the seam on the bottle and pop off the top of the glass. Um, and so when we uh, launched our first uh, shipments just a couple or a few weeks ago, I got to saber off the top. And that's what Heidi's talking about. Yeah, it's I've seen it go horribly wrong to where people have literally ripped off the entire top of the bottle. And I'm like, OK, then, you know, is there glass shards in that wine or what are we doing? Yeah, no, this was my first one. So the one that you saw was my first time doing it. So usually when it's done correctly, there's enough inert pressure that when, once it's, you know, broken off there's enough inner pressure that kind of like pushes everything outward so the shards are not not in there okay. yeah, yeah. okay see these are questions that i had and you know it's just things that need to be answered so so let's talk pet nat because that is the bottle that we had yesterday with our our wine wednesday slash thursdays because we were late um, but what, um, let's talk, what is it? I mean, I, I hear it. It's definitely kind of a new, kind of a new, um, buzzword that you're hearing and it's not really a true Champenois style, but it's not a still wine. So, I mean, it's a new buzzword, but it's not a new style by any means. It's method ancestral. So it's, it's been there forever for longest time, longer than Champagne. So which, what it is, is you... Uh, bottle the fermenting wine into the bottle and then you put the cap on and you let it finish in the bottle and byproduct of fermentation is alcohol and CO2. So that's how you capture that CO2 that's in the bottle. So, you know, with that, you have little yeast there. So a little, little, little hazy, there's a little sediment there, but it's kind of, uh, you know, like for uh, met the Champenois or met the traditional, it would ha you would have to wait like three or five years to actually drink it or like, you know, enjoy it. But this is kind of uh, almost like an instant gratification. You don't have to wait to enjoy it. You know, this is, this were picked October last year and then we're enjoying it now. So We Americans have a hard time waiting. <laughs> there definitely is a patient factor when it comes to bubbles and whatever. And so, if I'm correct, and it may be just the what I've drank, there, it's more of an effervescence mm -hmm. and not like a true like bubbly bubbly experience like what you get in like a true champenois or even a carbon infused wine. So it's it really has this really nice almost like tickle um, with the bubbles versus just something that's a little bit more blatant. Hundred percent, yeah. See. Ugh. 
Look at these. <laughs> look at these awards I'm coming out with. This is so great. So let's talk about the rest of your lineup. I, I you for being a new producer because you are a younger producer. You are newer, and you have a really nice little kind of display. They're all sitting right in front of me, of of wine. So these are what Lois calls a uh, ten years of pent up passion that I had. Um, <laughs> so actually made up uh, eight different iterations of Pinot Noir, pretty much all from same vineyard. And uh, I just wanted to see, like, all these ideas I've been working for other wineries. And, like, I wanted to do this, but I couldn't do it. I wanted to do this. So was, I've, I've been saving those ideas. And I made, made I guess, a lot for a first-year first, first year producer. Like, you know, eight, made eight different Pinot Noir styles. And, um, and that's all we did. And then six of them we released now. And then two of them will, will be released uh, in the fall. You truly have eight different bottlings of Pinot Noir. So they're not blends. You're not blending anything together. You're truly doing eight different bottlings of Pinot. Right. And I had a fun time making all those labels and branding everything. <laughs> he told me um, in the years that he was working at Argyle and Duck Pond, and you know, he'd go through the days where he'd be texting me like, oh, geez, I wish I could make this. I could wish I wish I could make this. And so, you know, those years of just having him text me all day while he's at work, when finally it came to the point where we're like, okay, we're going to do our own label. He kept asking me like, should I do this? Should I do that? I was like, honey, this is your time to do whatever you want to do. I think you should do whatever. And so he pretty much just let it all out. <laughs> and when I said that, I didn't realize that I'd be the one doing all the labeling and the licensing, the cola, li cola labels. And yeah, so, but still, I think it was worth it. I mean, for the record, I like to say those texts were during the quiet, uh, what, during the uh, break time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, but you weren't employed there anymore, so I don't yeah. think it really matters. <laughs> so funny but you know when the creative brain is moving and working and whatever it's you have to outlet it somehow I mean I seem to work better at two or three in the morning for whatever reason like on an insomnia schedule so you know it's just you have to you know luckily you have a very supportive and lovely wife that is you know taking notes and yes yes so um but you so we only have one Pinot here though where's the other seven so <laughs> Blanc de Noir is from Pinot Noir. This is uh, Pinot Noir Blanc, so it's white Pinot. Oh, so we have differentiations. They're not all red. They're not all red. Oh, There's only okay. one red. So you didn't say that. Two, two out of eight. Okay. There's a Willamette Valley designate, and then which is also, and then there's also a single vineyard Pinot Noir. So two out of eight is red wine, and then six out of eight is something else. Well, okay, well, let's talk about the something else, because I thought they were all red. Right, yeah, so those two bottles you see next to the Blanc de Noir, you see a Pinot Noir Blanc, which is a white wine made from red Pinot Noir grapes, and then the Rosé as well. And so those are our um, two stills in addition to the Pinot Noir. And then we, for our sparkling line, we have our Method Traditional sparkling that you just had, the Blanc de Noir. And then we also have our um, Pet Nat that one some of you are already trying and then the one that's not here is our piquette so it's the same i know it's hard to being on a podcast not seeing the labels um but the piquette is the same type of label as the pet nut and so it's an orange label bruno by the way over here is twitching <laughs> <laughs> i love the dynamics with what's going on yeah. so we have new school and a little bit older school i'm no. not calling you old by any no means bruno but def, de yeah def, definitely more history Okay, well, I think it's time to pour me some pet nat because I have now officially, um, I don't know, dehydrated all the stuff in my glass. So it's time for a little bit of a refresh. So let's take a little bit of a break here and we're going to kind of regroup, refill, and we will be right back with a little bit more with Dave and Lois. Okay, we are back. We are back officially. We are back now that we have full glasses again. And the thing about this podcast is it just, there's never any shortage of good things to drink and people to talk to and really things to share. So this has definitely been a full blown sharing and colorful conversations all about. So welcome back Lois and Dave with Cho Wines. Um, we have, I don't know, how many wines have we tried on the break? <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, I think we've lost count. I think I have two sitting in front of me. Sammy has four sitting in front of her, and we've got other other stuff. Yeah. So um, I want to circle back. We've talked about the wine, and we haven't talked about all of it, but I want to make sure that I get your story in here because there's so much color and um, background and differ, different things that are not wine industry related that I want to make sure that we touch on because really that, in my opinion, that's what brings the brand to life is that background, that color, that, um, I don't know, that nuance of the essence of what your history is. And so you guys did not start with wine necessarily. And Lois's job is definitely not wine as a day job. And I think Dave has a little bit of music in his background. So I want to kind of start where you guys started and then we'll flow back into the wines and where people can hang out with you and where we can find your wine. Sounds good. Yeah. So um, my main job is as a nurse practitioner. So I work three days a week, 10 hour days. I see 30 patients a day. Um, I've been working as a nurse practitioner probably for the last nine years, nine, 10 years now. Um, But Dave and I used to just for fun on the side, play music and so he uh, had an album called Where the Wind Blows by Dave Cho on Spotify. You can find it. Um, and we used to play, yeah, we used to play um, Busk on the Streets of Santa Monica in California. Um, and then we moved our way to Temecula Wine Country, found that that was a nice little niche where we were making good money because people like to tip people who play covers. So we were playing covers too. And um, people started pouring us wine. And Dave um, got bitten by the wine bug, decided to volunteer for a harvest. In hindsight, he always says, I should have gotten paid. (laughs) Um, And then after um, just exploring wine for a while, Dave ended up uh, deciding to get a lab tech position in Temecula. And one day told me, you know, I think I want to pursue this full time. And I was crazy enough to say, okay, let's do it. And we moved up to Oregon, uh, sight and scene. And Dave went to Oregon State University. Um, We were driving through the 34, if you know, from the I-5, that huge stretch of farmland into Corvallis. And both of us, having grown up in suburban backgrounds, were like, oh my goodness, what did we do? Um, but we made it in and they finished up four um, years of um, school at Oregon State, graduated with a degree in enology and viticulture. And we had three kids. We moved up with a 10 month old and then had two more kids in the mix of all of that. Um, moved up to uh, Willamette Valley Wine Country in McMinnville, lived there for a couple years. And um, during all that time, you know, we had the dream of potentially one day starting up our winery, having our own wine, wine label, and then decided um, let's let's try our own project. And so in 2019, that's when we started um, the sparkling project. And then um, it. Uh, we tried really hard to stay in Willamette Valley, and I had a really hard time with seasonal depression. I know a lot of people out there do, and sometimes it goes unsaid. And um, But for a couple years, we really tried to make it work, did a lot of sun trips. I'm a, as a nurse practitioner, I knew everything you need to do to for seasonal depression, and it still wasn't working. So, you know, one day I had to have that hard conversation with Dave and say, hey, I think we need to move back down to California. And being the supportive husband he is, <laughs> we moved down um, during the pandemic on the first day of lockdown and thought, hey, what better time to start our wine label than during the pandemic? And then, <laughs> so that's pretty much what we've been doing over the last year. We've been launching our brand, working on designs, um, those pent up passions that Dave was talking about. Um, they're in a bottle labeled, and it's pretty insane to think what the last year has been for us. But yeah, that was really long winded, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was, it was absolutely fantastic because, you know, I think you hit so many different subjects that, I mean, we could just do podcasts about a number of different things that you just said, but it really kind of gives you kind of the, the you know, the, the groundwork of, of where, you know, you guys came from and why and what. I know, Dave, you've worked at a number of different wineries doing different harvests, different interns, you know, so why why the wine bug i mean you know you you play music you get tips you you drink this stuff that they pour in your glass but then all of a sudden you get this big you know i was into uh you know craft craft brew scene you know like san diego was kind of blowing up in a like beer scene and everything and you know, i was kind of homebrewing myself a little bit i always like you know like to dabble into stuff and um, while I was playing music for different wineries down in California, um, they were hooking me up with free wine. And while I'm playing, I was like, oh, this is way better than the stuff I'm drinking at home. You know, I was drinking like two buck chug, you know, I was like, sorry, two buck chug. 
they're not two buck chuck anymore, so I don't care. But um, and I grew like affinity for wine, and then I was I very I'm very inquisitive in nature, so I got curious about like oh. What does it take to make this product? What this you know this wine you know? So hey, so I called up I called up my boss like hey, uh, do you want to volunteer for a harvest? And I'm like oh free labor now that I, now that I know that what I know now I'm like oh free labor you start Monday, <laughs> you know? So I got a job easy I guess volunteer job real easy right? And then so I worked through the harvest and then after the harvest I'm like. You want to get paid? It's like, yeah, about time now. So, <laughs> so they hired me on, and uh, I worked there for a couple of years, and my, and then that, that's when I started drinking like wines from all over the world. I I wanted to see what the wine is all about. So like I tried like you know obviously like Burgundy, but I mean they're expensive, so I couldn't do a lot of Burgundy, a lot of German, a lot of Italian, a lot of Spanish. So like I tried like a lot of a lot of different wines and. You know, I got curious and curious, and I was like, "All right." So I asked my boss one day, "Like, hey, what's the next step?" It's like, "Oh, you can get some education." Okay. Like, All right, let's do. I don't like school, but let's do more school. So I was. I had a kid. I had a wife. I was 30 years old. I had a job. You know, I was like, "All right, let's quit all of that." Uh, and then, yeah, we moved up to Oregon, and then, yeah. The rest so it's is interesting history. that you mentioned the brucing, because I mean that's kind of where I came from as well. You know, I went from Coors Light and kind of that the kind of the base. You know, everybody drinks Rainier. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier. A little vitamin R. Our dog. Yeah. Yeah. So you go from kind of the Coors Light, and then you graduate into you know the the ales and the IPAs and the stouts and blah blah blah. Well, now. I've kind of started from the beginning again, and we've started with, you know, the sweet wines, and now we're going into, you know, these more and more and more, you know, kind of intricate, you know, deeply rooted wines. And so you've kind of made this progression to where you've, you know, you've done this. And so I'm interested on kind of how that palate shift was and, you know, why the leap? Yeah, so... Obviously, beer, I did the full circle like you did. Yeah, so started with lager, Pilsner, and then went all the way to triple IPA, you know, applying to the younger, you know, oh, wait in line. Yeah. And you, like, wait wait out in, like, a little British pub in Pasadena, you know, for two hours to get a pint, you know. The, the, you know, little nerd boy, right? So things that can come back. And then now I'm back to, like, more, like, lighter stuff, more nuanced stuff like that. The same with wine, too, because I started drinking Californian wines. They're more... Um, tends to be more robust than like uh, Oregon wines and they're kind of like more like uh, approachable kind of in your face kind of wines and you know you know broad shoulders or you know lack of better terms right and and then when we moved to Oregon at first I'm like what is this is this so like I couldn't I, I, I didn't get it at first you know it was like, so different you know I've been to Burgundy before a couple times but it's like oh this is very like Compared to like you know Cabernet or Merlot or Syrah, like I should drink in Southern California, it's like very very different. But the more I try, the more I like investigate, like you know what what is this? Like trying to dissect it. Like I'm here, I want to learn. And with just like the beer circle, I like I went full circle too. Like oh, okay, so like has so much sides to it, so much complexity and depth to it, and that made me want to like explore different different side of Pinot Noir. So that hence. Eight different skews in a mere 500 <laughs> case production, you know. So that's a lot of work for Lois. The funny thing about it is, in terms of beer, he's come back to Coors Light because you know when you're during harvest, you know that's during what you're harvest. drinking. <laughs> so I've heard a number of times that it takes good beer to make great wine. So I think that's you know I don't know if you. I don't know what you classify as good beer, and we're not going to name labels and throw things out there, but, you know, to each their own, for sure, what good and great beer is. It's this crazy circle that this wine thing does to people. I mean, it is, it's a bug that bites, and it, it seems to bite, and it bites hard, and I think with, like, beer, you can kind of come and go, but I think there's so many intricacies with wine and how it grows and changes in the bottle the difference in you know the terroir and the land and how each plot of vineyard really kind of speaks to itself and kind of defines itself. You kind of go back to what Bruno said, what you guys are saying, really what everybody else is saying. And wine is just probably one of the most interesting things on the planet. And then you mix it with food and you've gone a completely new level of crazy, weird, new. I don't, I don't know. You can go all over the place with it. So 
kudos really to the whole thing. Your guys' energy and your social media and what you're doing is really bringing a completely new new face, spin, and energy to, you know, this, I don't know. So anyhow, I would just want to say thank you so much for, for coming in, bringing, bringing everything in. We have not talked about, what have we talked about over here? We have not talked about the Pinot Noir or the Rosé. Um, but we've talked about the pet nats. We've talked about, you know, kind of your eight skews, but we haven't talked about like the actual nuances of, of kind of really what your guys' style is. You know, what is it that you're going for? Who are you really appealing to? You know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? That's a good question. So we like to, as you can see in our labels, and we have like the four that's kind of like a more traditional side with the, the classic chill like line. And then we have pet nat and piquet with, you know, you can't see the podcast, but if you're on live right now, you can see it, but it's got more fun, more approachable, like to a younger generation, like, like millennials, like us, you know, kind of jumping into from craft scene, the brew scene or cider scene to kind of into wine, you know, we're kind of like want to do a little nice introduction to, you know, that's how I got through also too. So like, I want to see the being that, you know, stepping stone up too, and then, once that you know they like that, and then they can move kind of into the more classical lines of you know expressions of Pinot Noir, and I think that's fun. One of the things that we really like are obviously sparkling, and that you can you know sparkling is something traditionally like it's you know you pop open a bottle of champagne or sparkling wine for celebrations, and you save it for something special. But um, for us, like we're we want to pop a bottle open every day, and so I feel like the Pet Nat, the Piquet, both of them are really more approachable because they have those crown caps, and you can just pop it off like a you pop off a cap of a beer. Um, their price point is a little bit more affordable, and you can share it you know on a hot summer day just you know, on your patio or with a bar with um, barbecue or with um, like a burger. So it's I think it definitely is appealing towards a different crowd, but I think everyone can enjoy it. I mean, I think that's the thing with wine. I mean, once you actually have the, I hate to say the guts to try it, because I think a lot of people are really hesitant about wine because it's really been put on this elitist platform that, you know, you have to drink it with this, you know, high end dinner, you have to, you know, you really have to, you know, kind of have this elitist mind frame. And I, and I mean, we're talking with everybody, I mean, especially in Europe, this is a daily drinking beverage to where, I mean, when I've been in Europe, it's been on the breakfast table, you know, and so wine is really one of those beautiful things that can be drank with any meal, any situation, any friend, any any enemy for that matter. I mean, it really is a multifunctional beverage that can be enjoyed every single day and not really for these special occasions that um, I think Americans have kind of held it out to be. And if I can encourage anybody to try something new is grab a great bottle of wine. And it doesn't have to be the, the, you know, the stuff off the bottom, you know, clearance rack at the grocery store. Go to these amazing producers, experience the experience because it makes it so much better and so much more fun when you meet the Brunos of the world and you meet the Dave and Loises of the world and you feel their passion and their energy for what they are doing. These guys work their ever-loving asses off to put something great in the bottle. And I've had to do it with my own friends and my own family and, uh, you know, my mom, my sister, they're not red wine drinkers, but guess what they're doing now they're drinking red wine along with my poor husband who has been brutalized by you know conversion from Coors Light to IPAs and now to wine I mean he's I throw that poor man under the bus on a regular basis but he's a great you know picture of what you know what wine is and we drink it all the time and it's great I mean we were talking construction and digging holes yesterday with the excavator drinking a glass of wine I mean how great is that that's my I guess my soapbox for wine right now but I want to thank you guys for everything, for coming in, for sharing your passion, for sharing your energy. And we are down. Oh, we need to figure out where to buy your wine. So we can't forget that. So let's do that. And then we're going to the million dollar question. And make sure and follow them on social media. So they they have multiple platforms. So please share because I did not know about the one. So Not Your Average Cho is our personal account. And so that's where we do all the silly stuff. And then Get Cho Wines is um, where we post. Yeah, try to be serious. Post pretty bottle shots. It's not just bottle shots. There's definitely more than just pretty bottle shots to that. So and then I think you can follow them individually or something yes. maybe as well. But 
All right. So getchowines.com. So that's our website. You can purchase it online, direct shipping to you to 39 states. And we um, personally pack them at home. And so we ship them out from our house. And so if you order, um, it'll come straight to you. And then um, we also are in multiple places around the Walnut Valley now. So check out our website. Eventually we'll have them on there. Okay. Now that we know where to find you and where to buy these wines, and if you go to the website, you can figure out where all these little bottle shops and different places to buy that individual bottles are. So we're gonna go to the million dollar question, which is, you have now both been dumped on a deserted island. You get to choose one of your bottles of wine. You get to choose one meal to take with you. And you get to choose somebody or some buddies to bring with you to hang out with until you get rescued. Blanc de Noir with Sushu and Lois. I was going to say the same thing. Okay, so Lois doesn't count. Oh. So somebody oh. other than well, Lois. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say Blanc de Noir, Sushi, oh. and Dave. And I'll take, and I'll take okay. Bruno. Okay. If I can't take Dave. Well, no, Dave's with you. Oh, Dave's with me. Yes. I will come because the wines are really good. Oh, thank oh. you. <laughs> oh, that's special. I don't know. Without just that, you and me, I don't think we'd take anyone. <laughs> you have, have to, to take, take somebody. somebody. You can take Bruno. It's okay. He's just got to agree. Um, hmm. Man, we have three kids. Can we take, a, take couple? a couple? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'd say I think the I'd kids take, don't count. I think oh, okay, we take okay, okay. we take one of our like Corvallis friends. Don't you mm, think? A couple of Corvallis friends. Kidding. But I won't say who. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh, when you're on the spot, it is hard. It is hard. <laughs> Can it, can it just be someone famous? Does it have to be someone? Absolutely. It can be totally somebody famous. You can take BTS. We talked about them. <laughs> we can take BTS. No. Charlie Chaplin? Yes. Oh, yeah, Dead or it. alive. Okay. I could see you hanging out with Charlie Chaplin. I'll take Mother Teresa. <laughs> oh, my God. What a combo. Locked in the water sushi? Come on. What? She would have a wealth of wisdom to share with us. <laughs> okay. All right. Mother Teresa. <laughs> Mother Teresa, Charlie Chaplin, Blanc de Noir, and Sushi. Bruno gets to come for a guest appearance. Yes. And then we're good to go. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's the show, people. I think we've ended up with this large bang of a note. And thank you so much for all joining us for Wine Crush, Season 4, Episode 8, and here in downtown McMinnville. So cheers, everybody. Make sure and drink the wine. Woo-hoo. Salud. We want to give a special thanks to all of our partners of Wine Crush Podcast, sponsored by Country Financial, produced and managed by the Daydream Agency, and to all of our wonderful listeners in Oregon wine country and to those around the world. Hey, thank you so very much. We really appreciate all your support. 